posted is from uh, Rick Von Schmidt. He lives in Cambridge. Rick's a blues guitar player. I met him one day in the green pastures of Harvard University. Baby, let me follow you down. Baby, let me follow you down. Well, I'd do anything in this God Almighty world if you just let me follow you down. Can I come home with you? Baby, can I come home with you? Yes, I'd do anything in this God Almighty world If you just let me come home with you Baby, let me follow you down Baby, let me follow you down And I'd do anything in this God Almighty world If you just let me follow you down Yes, I'd do anything in this God Almighty world If you just let me follow you down Hello and welcome to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name is Jason Barnard and that was Bob Dylan and Baby Let Me Follow You Down. We're playing that song because we're here to talk about Mike McCartney's early Liverpool. Mike's got a fantastic signed limited edition book where he reveals the secrets of 60s and 70s Liverpool. And in that book, Mike talks about his love of early Dylan. A huge welcome again, Mike. Baby, leave before you down. Baby, leave before you down. You got a lot of money, girl. Did you like my impression of Scaffold then? I couldn't tell the difference. Pretty good. How are you, Chase? How is Strange Brew? Oh, great, it's been five years. Five years it is Strange Brew. Carry on. There's some really good photos of you looking very, very cool listening to music and with your records around. Talk about Dylan listening to that early Dylan in the book, don't you? The we <laughs> A couple of yeah. stories about Dylan. Did you know about the early days when I was a young man and my first girlfriend was from the art college? Oh, no. Okay. She was at the art college 
and I was in Andre Bernard's <laughs> taking after your name, and we heard one of the lead, the leading hairdressers as a hairdressing apprentice. Her name was Celia Mortimer, and she used to come in from the art college because we used to do it night time for for the staff for the apprentices. They would art college kids, girls would come in the ladies hairdresser uh, for these free do's so they get a free haircut and all those apprentices would practice on the doing their hair everyone benefited and uh, Celia was in there somebody had done her hair and she was under the dryer and she was watching this strange young man called me uh, and she was just fascinated by him because she said I've never seen anybody with more disdain from like, brushing up the floor. I was brushing up the floor as though this broom, this brush, was on the end of my finger. As though I didn't want to touch it, didn't. I, didn't, I hated it. Brushing up the floor, all the hair, cleaning the blinds with all the dust, stacking the towels, etc. Washing ladies' hair, and sometimes they'd come in and one particular lady, I think it's in the book actually, because yeah. uh, you only you only get a bit of there's a lot of stories uh. in these things, and one of them is where the lady came into Andre Bernard's, and nobody would touch her. Peter, would you? Sorry, Mike. They had a Mike as a stylist, so I had to become something else. So my name's Peter Michael, so I became Peter. In fact, I've still got the badge somewhere. Peter, can you take it? And nobody wanted to touch her. And I realized why, because when you went and started to do her hair, she stank. She obviously didn't wash her hair. She was an eccentric lady, and uh, she didn't wash her hair all year. Came once a treat, big treat once a year, and nobody would touch with a barge bowl. So soft lad was sent in, and it was, the stench was so bad. First of all, I had to turn my head away. It was so strong pungent uh, and so and even when I got home uh, my dad and my brother were going what the hell does that smell and it had impregnated my shirt my clothes and I had to take it off and put it in the washing so um, anyway uh, in that salon under Bernard this young lady that I ah, the only little problem about <laughs> the, the being on the iPhone is the ordinary phone go? Oh, hold on a second. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Ro, can you get that? Uh, my wife, Ro, yeah. uh, the saviour of the human race. <laughs> uh, she uh, got that so we can continue speaking. Yeah, now. yeah. Uh, well, I always like things on radios and podcasts and things when normal things happen. <laughs> I did this. I did this once. I was talking to somebody on Radio Merseyside, I think. And these things kept going off, and the doorbell, and all that, and the guy uh, would go to stop the recording. He said, "No, no, hey, leave it on, because this is life. This is what's happening. Mm-hmm. It, don't pretend it's not. This is this is real." <laughs> so, go to the door, answer the phone, whatever, and he kept it all in. And uh, the next day, I had a call from Willie Russell, you know, the great yeah, yeah. Liverpool playwright. Yeah. The Willie Russell, like that. He said, I'd just come back from uh, 
Portugal. Because he's got they've got a, a, a pad in uh, apartment in Portugal. He writes a lot of his wonderful stories. He said I just came in last night, uh, and uh, uh, it was a long journey I had to take from the airport to home, and uh, there was something on the radio. It was you on Radio Merseyside, and uh, I couldn't stop listen to, listening to it. Uh, and because it's you and all the bloody things going on. <laughs> and he said, uh, I mean, and in fact, I woke up uh, smiling this morning. I just had to ring you because it was so mad, so wonderful being away for so long, coming on to this Liverpool <laughs> scouse nutter. And uh, so anyway, you were back in the uh, ladies' bar with Andre Bernard, yeah, yeah. young 18-year-old young boy. Brushing up the, oh, we've done that. We're brushing up the floor with great disdain. Uh, and this young lady fell in love with me because this, again, this nutter uh, was uh, there. And so that was it. And we met up after work, as it were, a lovely girl. And then I used to stay at weekends at hers in Liverpool, away from my home, in, which is like 20 minutes, a half an hour away in Fulton Road mm. in Allerton. Uh, and I used to wake up in her flat in Liverpool. Uh, uh, to this, she kept putting this record on. And uh, it was that one. <laughs> what the hell's that? She said, oh, it's a new singer. All the college, all the art college are way into it. It's just a folk singer called Bob Dylan. And so I say, ah, folk crap, bloody crap, folk music, rubbish. Uh, but she kept playing it, ignored me, kept playing it. Uh, and I eventually started to listen to him. I thought, this guy can't sing. And then suddenly, oh, he's not the singing, it's the words and his interpretation. It is interesting. And I got hooked. And so I went back to our house in Portland Road. And I, I borrowed her album, his first album, and I used to play it myself. And our kid came in for his rock and roll world one night and said, what the hell's that? <laughs> I said, it's a new singer called Bob Dylan, all the art college. Uh, love him. And I slowly got into him. He said, so crap. <laughs> and went to bed. And so that was that. And then sometime later, probably about a year later. Mm. Uh, our kids gone into a rock and roll group. They're doing very well. And they're now playing Paris. Mm. And so my dad and I are invited over to the Georges Sank Hotel, big posh hotel. And we're given the secret floor, etc. Don't tell me I'm bullshit. Mm. And so up we go, very hot. I remember being beautifully, what was winter? And it was beautifully warm in this hotel. Because uh, we could fall through, oh, it's bloody freezing. There's only one, no centimeter, only one uh, room yeah. where it was warm when you put the fire on. And so uh, it's come into a nice warm hotel. It was great. So eventually, there we are, this number, you know, five, zero, un, trois, quatre, cinq. Uh, and so I knocked on the door. And the next thing is our kid came to the door, and the other lads were inside. And uh, sweet, you know. And so we walked in, 
and I suddenly heard this record being played, and it was another album, but it was still on the same thingy. I said, hey, hold on, you. You said Dylan was for crap. And he said, he just did one second. He said, uh, it's John's. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's John's album. <laughs> <laughs> so these things, it's weird how everything is interrelated. So uh, that was that. And so years later now, Dylan Baines goes to, fills the Albert Hall, and our kid goes to see him. And Roger McGough and I, they were both into Dylan, and uh, uh, we were going to see him in the Odeon Cinema when it was a theatre in Liverpool, London Road, uh, the next night. And so uh, our kid had seen it, so I rang him the next day and said, right, we're, uh, McGough and I are seeing Dylan tonight in Liverpool. What was he like at the Albert Hall? And so our kid said, ah, first half was okay. I said, when didn't he have two halves? He said, well, you'd think that, but uh, I don't think he would remember the second half. <laughs> we certainly didn't. <laughs> it was out of his head. He was on something that was uh, not communicating with his audience. <laughs> and so, oh, I thought, oh, Christ, we bought the tickets now. So... Um, and we were just waiting to go and see this drug addict singing. And so we get to the Odeon. Uh, we left it late, so our tickets were right at the back of the Odeon. And he comes on, center stage. There is a chair, a stool, a table with a glass of water on it. He walked on. Uh, he'd learned <laughs> from the Albert Hall. You don't get stoned before you go on. <laughs> the new rules are straight set, uh, no interval, whole set, and it just every now and then have a sip of water. Uh, great show. Mm -hmm. And so that was that. And so uh, we then headed into town to go to a place called the Blue Angel in Liverpool. It was a sort of nightclub with Alan Williams, who was our kids' first uh, manager. Uh, <laughs> who said to Brian Epstein, when Brian said, uh, I'm thinking of managing uh, the Beatles, Alan. Uh, what would you give me any advice on that? Like, you, you used to manage them, didn't you? And uh, so little Alan said, uh, yeah, I'll give you a bit of advice there, uh, Brian. Don't touch you with a fucking barge fall. <laughs> Was it? Hey, you have to delete the effing uh, <laughs> word. Uh, but that's what he said, and uh, and so that was Alan. And so um, uh, the bottom line on it, uh, we went to him. He had a club. First of all, he had one called the Jacaranda, uh, and then he had this one called the Blue Angel. And so that was the latest in thing. What was his name? The pianist. Ruben, John Ruben, I think, used to play jazz piano when you went in. And so we get in there. And, uh, oh, in fact, sorry. Yeah. We must have gone to pub first. After we got out the Empire, we 
obviously go on the pub first, and then, right, we want more, we're young, we can take it, let's go down the blue. And so, uh, about an hour later, and so, smashing, go to the Blue Angel, just as we're going to open the door, the door opens, there is Bob Dylan with two beautiful girls called the pop from a group called the Poppies. And uh, so uh, with the, he, the, he had his arms draped around these two beautiful girls. And there's Bob Dylan, we just seen him on the stage. So he said, oh, all right, I've just seen you. And he said, oh, hi, you know, he's going to keep going. So the girls said, all right, Bob, this is Mech and Raj. They're in the groups like you, you know, you do all that sort of thing. Like, and, uh, you, you know, they're great. Scaffold, they're famous. Great. And so Dylan says, oh, okay, yeah, the girls like you. I like you. I'm doing it, having a little after party after the show at the Adelphi Hotel. Do you want to come up? Along later, we said, oh, that'd be great. We'll have a, a little ale here, a little scoop here, and then we'll come and have your free ale, hopefully. And, oh, yeah, Benny, sir. And so that was it. So off he goes with the uh, puppies, two puppies, to the Adelphi. And so we had a scoop in, in the blue, and then we handed up to the Adelphi and it ushered into his suite. So that was that, and we are just having a nice evening. And at one stage, before the poppies decided to sing, we were talking on the couch. There was me, Dylan, and McGough on on a couch in the hotel room. And so uh, he found out that Roger was a uh, like poetry. And he said, uh, oh, oh, you know, do, do, are you a poet? He said, oh, no, I'm a teacher. He said, but I write poetry. And they, oh, do you? Oh, I said, why? That's what the whole thing like, is poetry. But very important. So McGuffin was a teacher and very prolific on poetry and knew everything about all. Started to go into these things. And Dylan, you could see Dylan's eyes slowly you know, losing interest because this guy knew damn sight more than his bloody teacher going on about these poets. And, all that. and then suddenly we were saved by the bell. Because the puppies, <laughs> the puppies were great. Three girls, they were beautiful girls. They wanted to be the Supremes. They were a mixed race. So, you know, they thought they could be the next Supremes. And uh, they're gorgeous looking. And uh, so uh, they suddenly announced, all right, hello, everyone. We're going to uh, sing for years now. And we thought, hold on. Are you going to sing? There's no, no, yeah, no, no. There's no, we haven't got no band, but we're going to sing for you at Acapulco. <laughs> and so, uh, so two, three, one, two, three, four. To do run, 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 to do run, run. Say run, 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 Vince, just to do run, 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 to run, All flat. Uh, but they look so beautiful, and and then the end okay. Absolute silence till Dylan goes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then everyone in the room joined in. <laughs> 
dear, that's my Dylan story. Yeah, lots of stories intertwined into one there. It's fantastic. One of the great things about Mike McCartney's early Liverpool is that it's got never-seen-before photographs in it. One of the photos that uh, has been sort of trailed is uh, one of the earliest colour photos of um, your kid, John and George, together in Auntie Jin's front room. It was. It was what I have even now. My little problem is like I, my filing system is non-existent. So I come across things, photographs, articles, programs, you name it, tapes, film, whatever. Uh, whenever I'm looking for things, I find something else. And I can assure you as soon as this book is finished, as soon as it goes to print, I'll find something else. So this one, I was looking for things for this book. Genesis approached me. Genesis Publishing, for all your listeners who uh, don't know about Genesis Publishing, is uh, a wonderful company, started nearly 40 years ago. The They produce... Uh, fine art, coffee table, uh, beautiful books, uh, works of art. And so I've always admired them, but, uh, you know, couldn't couldn't afford to buy them. They cost so much. Uh, so as a warning, all your uh, readers now uh, listening, that uh, start saving up now. Because these <laughs> things cost a fortune, but I can assure you, <laughs> I can assure this is a one-off. This is the definitive collection of my stuff that I've had for a hundred years. And as I say, I keep finding, and those keep finding one are in the book, like this one. I there's one I took called John Paul George and Dennis, and uh, color for it. It's to have to shoot. Color photography in those days was a real treat, a real honor. It must have been a birthday or Christmas or something, and my dad must have bought me uh, some uh, color slide film. And so uh, put it in my camera, and that wonderful one, they they say, the first Beatles color photo called John Paul George and Dennis, uh, which is Dennis was uh, a friend of my cousin Ian's. So uh, there we are. I'm looking for other pictures for this book, ones that haven't been seen before particularly. Uh, And so I'm going through old next little box, little yellow box of slides. And I thought, uh, oh, that looks old. I'll have a little look inside. So I get in there, and there's a slide of me and my dad, uh, fine, and other slides, etc., and then I found the one of John, the slide of John Paul George and Dennis. Uh, and then I saw another one that I'd forgotten about because I had made the decision in those days, a hundred years ago, was this one I found was one of George's back. I call it George's back because uh, he's, he's come back and it is back. And our kid is down on the left uh, playing because they're singing. And uh, they're practicing something. And uh, in Antigen's 147 Diner Lane House in Heighton. And uh, Johnny's on the right. 
uh, George with his back to the camera. Uh, but the other one was uh, them looking face in front, looking at the camera, John Paul, George and Dennis. So I'd chosen that for the obvious reason. You can see the face of George on the left, looking very young, and I was younger than him. Uh, John looking like he's had a shaving rash, and our kids said, uh, shaving rash, my heart is drunk. <laughs> and so, and our kid looked young, very young face on the right. And then Dennis with his half a Guinness uh, on the complete right, stealing the whole picture. Uh, but there's this other one, and I suddenly realized, oh, bloody hell, of course, these are the very early days. And anybody interested in that era, and some of the, waiting to see some of the others too. Yeah. And not only our kid and his chums, but other groups around Liverpool, the Roadrunners and uh, people like that, uh, uh, that, that were going at the same time. But that one, the George's Back one, was going to be just a quiet one in the book, and it was all going to be a big surprise. But then somehow it got out. You know, these things get out. And the next thing it is plastered. I got uh, inquiries and comments from all around the world mm. because no one had ever seen this thing before. And that's what the book is. It's full yeah. of never-before scenes that well, you'll never, ever see them again because this is going to be the last one. This is the definitive collection of that magic era. Now... We opened with um, Bob Dylan, Baby Let Me Follow You Down, but as well as the photos of you looking cool, there's photos of you looking cool with the modern jazz quartet. album oh, that's right, John Lewis. So you were listening to that. Yeah. You were listening to a lot of jazz in that period. Yeah. In fact, again, something that our kid wasn't particularly into, but then... <laughs> got more into it than me. And he, he'd do all stuck out on all weird people down in London when he was in, uh, in his London home. But initially, uh, the MJQ, uh, John Lewis, uh, third stream music, MJQ, these, and in fact, I went to see them with the film. Again, this sort of Celia art school influences just to be a bit different because all the only music that was around was a jazz, trad jazz. And the only trad jazz I ever have, thank God, having been to New Orleans and hearing a traditional uh, black trad traditional jazz, to hear all the, the white interpretations of it, uh, even then, I wasn't enamored at all. It was nice, it was good. But just no interest. It was just, even if I had the New Orleans stuff, I'd have probably been far more into it. But just the lovely people, Terry Lightfoot, Ackerbilk, all these uh, uh, jazz bands didn't mean a, a, a light to me. So therefore, these new avant-garde, El Garner, uh, MJQ, all these people that were uh, very different, were different and in fact but at the beginning our kid wasn't that he was like Dylan like yeah but he grew on him like he grew on me there was one great bit in London 
once with uh, uh, in our kid's house, and he said, "Yeah, I look. Uh, I'm in the studio every day. I think they're doing pepper or something. And uh, can you get some uh, records to play when I come home? And go and do your choice of what you want." Because, you know, I don't know what you're into. I'm younger than him. So you'll have a different outlook on things. And, you know, it might be something. But it's your choice. You get what you want. So I gave him the money to go and get it. So I went out and we got a few things. And I suddenly saw these MJQ albums that he didn't like. And I thought, I'll, I'll uh, introduce him to them again. After all these years, he, he, he might like him now. And, you know, he was, as I said, he was way ahead by that time. So I got him on and I put the third stream music on. And I think it was third, one of the MJQ albums anyway. Yeah. Floating around with the vibes, floating around, etc. And uh, the bass, that um, thingy bass. And he saw, our kid said, that's MGQ, isn't it? I said, yeah, yeah. He said, oh, yeah, that's unfortunate. I remember that. And he said, bloody hell. I've suddenly realized where I got blah, blah, blah from. I can't remember what song, one of his big hits, one of their big hits. He said, just the notation, that's, I've suddenly realized. <laughs> and he said, one of his biggest hits. Uh, it, that's, that's where I, I realized uh, subliminally, like George did, I mean, I mean mine from Do Ron, Ron, Ron to Do Ron. He didn't even know that he'd, uh, the influence was that song. Uh, yeah, it was into MJQ, uh, all these uh, different things. And uh, not only that, other albums like there was a I don't know whether it's on the old podcast Chicago Blues and there was a great all blues stuff mm. real heavy black uh, blues black blues and there was one song on it I remember uh, what was his name now it's called Ring of Fire the song and it, it, this this guy had a voice like this uh, walk through a ring of fire to get to you. Uh, so things like that. And a particular love of both me and our kid and dad was Fats Waller. We used to love Fats Waller stuff. Yeah. And that, in fact, it was coming from a letter, a letter, I don't know. Oh, yeah, there are a few letters in this book. Come to think of it, there is definitely Stu's letter, Stu Sutcliffe's yeah. letter from Hamburg to me because I'd asked about murals because I wanted to go to art college. And uh, <laughs> in fact, another thing is you'll see the thing is where I asked John, how did you get into art college? And he drew me a drawing and that is in the book. You'll, you'll like that one.
there's so many great photos in in this book and uh, one of one of those uh, m- many photos is from June 62 at the Tower Ballroom with the Beatles and Delbert McClinton who played on Hey Baby a Bruce Lee. Yeah, correct. Oh yeah. And I've got pictures of them with uh, Bruce and Delbert. A few new ones are found as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the best part was we've done the show, I've taken the photographs. There is Bruce, Bruce. Hey, hey, baby, want you to know, oh, want you to be my girl. Uh, there is Bruce Chanel on the stage. And there in the dressing room afterward is Bruce Chanel with Delbert McClinton, uh, etc. And John wanted to have his picture taken with Delbert particularly because Delbert, uh, the harmonica player, uh, Delbert, he, uh, John, uh, had uh, his gobine, as we call uh, them in Liverpool. And he wanted to be near Delbert because uh, he... I, I think, I should say pretty definitely, he was practicing for the Love Me Do uh, Gobine. Yeah. So he wanted to have his picture taken with Delbert, who was the Gobine player from America. Oh, Bruce Chanel, the hit singer. So taking all the pictures, <laughs> so, to, so now uh, it's time to go to the top of the, this is in the Tower Ballroom, you bright which was uh, eventually burnt down. First of all, the tower fell off, which was bigger than Blackpool Tower. That sort of disintegrated. But then the big tower ballroom was there. So we go to the top of the ballroom uh, to have drinks after the show. And the the greatest one was uh, John saying to me, you wouldn't dare. I I said I would dare. He said, you wouldn't dare. This is John Lennon saying, I wouldn't dare. And I said, okay, you watch me. And so I went up to Bruce Chanel. I said, excuse me, Mr. Chanel, uh, could I have your autograph, please? And he said, certainly, son. Uh, Adela, could you have me one of those photographs? for the?" And so Adela gives him this photograph. And uh, he says, okay, son, uh, who shall I sign it to? I said, uh, could you sign it to Bruce McCartney? That was the duh. Uh, could you sign it to Bruce McCartney from Bruce Chanel? And I've still, I've still got, in fact, it's in the book. <laughs> <laughs> and he signed it to Bruce McCartney. Best wishes from Bruce Chanel. And there's John uh, pissing himself in the corner of the dressing room. The fact I would dare to uh, to do that, mm. so uh, that was my Bruce, one of the Bruce Chanel stories. And they, you say that some nice pictures, the pictures you have seen are the tip of the iceberg. Mm. It's a big book, mm. a big physically book, heavy. Bloody hell, just the layouts of them. It's not something you just going book. to Waterstones to get. It's a proper... A limited edition. There's only 2,000 made. I sign every one. Yeah. And uh, we've got uh, a few nice little forwards from nice people uh, waiting for 
uh, something to come through. Uh, oh, but there's a lovely one from Klaus Borman. He's done a lovely one. You'll like that. Uh, but as I say, the big thing, and there's drawings in there. There's lots of my drawings that nobody has ever seen in the world before because I suddenly thought illustrating, oh, there's me dad. And uh, I've taken a picture of me dad uh, that people might have seen. But next to it is a drawing of me dad. Looking remarkably, it's, I call it serious dad because he's just looking at me. This was in the... Uh, living room with Parla, ah. from Parlour, in which the one, he, he's sitting on the chair, uh, the, uh, you know, the drawing is him sitting on his chair in the room in the front part of Fourthin Road that I took from that chair, the picture of our kid and John writing. I saw her standing there. Mm. And so I'm now in there, we're there, sitting, drawing that on the other side. And so that, and there are several, two particular nice ones of my dad. One with a bowl of fruit and uh, next to the bowl of hand. You're going to like the bowl of hand. And uh, they are interspersed throughout the book, all my drawings. So uh, if you like drawings, I hope you like mine. photo in the whole book is the one where you've got Jean Vincent, your kid, and John walking under the archway in the cavern and looking back 
I mean, it's just so evocative. It's stunning. It is stunning and beautiful. <laughs> Wait till you see the last one, which no one's ever seen before. Uh, you're going to love that. The picture is left is our kid, knowing what's coming up. John, it's another time that he said to me, uh, Mike, get your camera. <laughs> Shh, don't use the flash. That's going to ruin it. Just take a photograph. And the picture is our kid on the left, <clears throat> knowing what's coming up, because uh, he, he knew John rather well. The next one to it is Bob Wallace is in the cabin dressing room after the show. Mm. And our kids on the left, uh, Bob Buller is next with Gene Vincent, both with their backs to us. And on the right is John saying, are you ready? I said, yeah, thumbs up, etc. cetera. Uh, look at the book for what John Lennon did to Gene Vincent uh, behind his back. Are you going to love it? Oh, yeah, he's, he's pulling a face and then there's some... Ooh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's all. What's he doing with his hand? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it, it is. A, and that, that, to me, is so John. It's like the one of them, the other one in the tower. Another favourite John picture is the one of him. I call it uh, Marso Marso John uh, Rambo Paul because he looks a bit like... Uh, Sylvester Stallone, Goon Pete, and nipple shooting George, because our kid's got his shirt off, and George is pointing at our kid's nipple. Uh, but that is so evocative, so real, as what was happening at the time, and how that group were uh, the real, that's what you want to do, is show people what it was actually like. That's what our kid said about the the picture of him and John rehearsing to the school book. Uh, our kids said that's an important, very important picture because it shows the world what it was actually like. John and me, brothers at work. He says that picture is show, shows everyone what happened. <laughs> and it's as though I was uh, Rembrandt's uh, kid in, when he's doing a self-portrait and I'm doing a, a little portrait of him doing a self-portrait in the corner. It's that sort of thing that just happens and you're just lucky to be there at that time. And then, of course, none of this was going anywhere. None of these people, including me, and certainly not these uh, people uh, John Lennon or Paul McCartney or George Harrison and Pete Best and Ringo Starr, they were going nowhere. None of us were going anywhere. And so that's why it's important having pictures from this era because it shows you uh, before the showbiz aspect of it, before it got out of hand, before it became the mania. This was all it was was young people, me practicing on my camera, them practicing on their guitars. That's why uh, they're important. Well, be bop Luna, she's my baby. Be bop Luna, I don't mean my baby. Be bop Luna, she's my baby. Be bop Luna, I don't mean my baby. Be bop 
surprised me about the photos with Jean was just they just look thick as thieves with Jean it's just it's just brilliant mm. he's our idol Jean Vincent J.D. Lewis Chuck Perry Little Richard you know these guys were absolute heroes can you imagine actually meeting Little Richard yeah you know what I mean once so with actually it was the Bobbies. I was in, uh, this is uh, uh, the, that picture you're talking about with uh, John, our kid, and Jean, arms around each other, waiting to go on stage. Sounds incorporated. You can see them actually on the stage. And look at that photograph. And here, the dressing room was freezing. <laughs> and above their head, you, you will see a heater with a one bar electric heater on. Because it was freezing. There, out there, it sounds like Gobrate. There, Jean going out full leathers, Beatles going out full leathers. When they came back, uh, they were dripping, soaked to the skin. Uh, leathers, the got basically, I think, from all of us, from Jean and us, and sorry, Beatles. From Marlon Brando and the Wild Wild Ones, I think that's where the leather uh, we all got the idea of the leather stuff from. Uh, and there uh, now, where there's them in their leathers, etc. Uh, and now we are going to 
you heard the story about the poppies. And now down in London, in a, a club called the Scot. I'm taking you everywhere today, aren't I? It's always a ride. <laughs> You're always a ride, and I'll keep going till I stop. And uh, I'm, we're now down in Londinium, uh, the old Carnaby Street era, and there was a club there called the Scotch of St. James, the the club. And I'm going into the club, and there, can you believe again, when we went into the Blue Angel, tried to get in the Blue Angel, who was coming out? Bob Dylan with two of the poppies, right? Hmm. And so I'm now going into the Scotch of St. James, and there's one poppy coming out. She sees me, oh, they make, make all big hugs, etc. And the lovely girls, the real scouts, the real, just nice people. And she said, I think Yvonne, she called Yvonne. And she says, how are you coming, man? And she grabs hold of me and drags me down the tartan-colored uh, draped staircase down to the Scotch of St. James, down below. How are you coming, man? She kept saying this statement. What's what she saying? And so uh, that was it. And so it drags me down across the little dance floor of the Scotch and St. James to her other sisters who were at the table. And she says, This is Mech. He's an actor like you. And this man stands up and shakes my hand. There on the end of my hand is Marlon Brando. Oh, wow. <laughs> From the wild ones. <laughs> oh, dear God. And so charming, so lovely. The poppies, like Dylan. These girls are beautiful. With the secret was, uh, the Beatles now have become world famous. And so two Americans now, the Scouts accent in the world, Scouse accents ruled. So there are these three, three beautiful Polynesian women with Scouse accents. So there's Bob Dylan with uh, these girls, and there is Brando down in London with these, uh, and that was it. And, the, and may I tell you, there, of course, films are a bit misleading, uh, much shorter than I thought. Marlon Brando, I thought he'd be a giant, you know, much bigger than me. But, so so saying, you should never, ever listen to what anybody says about anybody till you've met them. Uh, next next time I talk to you in 20 years, five years' time, I'll tell you the story about Cliff Richard and his villa in the Algarve. Uh, but now, may I tell you that uh, Marlon Brando was not only a nice man, he is he proved to be a nice man. And this is, uh, for all of you listening now, uh, this is the proof of the pudding is in the evening. And so we're at the end of the evening. Uh, in the Scotch of Gin, <laughs> these things, you couldn't make all these things up, could you? You know, you'd, you'd, people would say, hold on, he's got a good imagination. In the Scotch of St. James, the back of the, uh, Marlon was in the front by the uh, the stage and the girls because uh, they wish they wanted to show him off, you know. 
but at the back there there were a couple of tables and it said on them on that area table chairs benches you know around it uh, it said on the thing beetles not and nobody's allowed to sit there next one rolling stones nobody is allowed to sit in them only the beetles or the fence or whatever uh, and so that was because you very uh, and so that's why Marlon wasn't sitting up there because he wasn't uh, and, and in fact we sat in there you've just brought back another memory we sat in there with uh, a singer <laughs> God you're getting the stories today aren't you <laughs> the, uh, in that area is me our kid and this uh, singer and, and my dad my dad was down in London and so we're sitting in the around the beetle table, uh, getting our drinks, etc., and having a lovely evening. And there is, and next to that was the singer, and he was, you know, he, he wasn't one of a young kid, wasn't the Beatles era. He was an older, more established singer, uh, and so Dad got on well with him. And they were getting on like a house on fire. Anyway, this. Uh, Singer eventually gets up and said, "Well, I'm sorry, I've got to go. I've got to do my show now. Uh, I've got to." I think, I think we were in there early evening, and so he had a, a show later that evening. He said, uh, "So nice to meet you, Mr. McCartney, American guy." And uh, and he he goes off to his gig, and Dad says to uh, our kid, "He, he that man, he what a lovely bloke." He's really, really nice man. And so we have to tell Dad, Dad, you remember in Fawthin Road, you used to come in and there was a singer and he would go, you etc. And you used to say, you don't call that music. That is not music. That is absolute rubbish. And Dad said, yeah, I remember a singer like that. We said, we said, well, that was the singer. He's called Otis Redding. <laughs> <laughs> that was at the end of the thing. That was the table we were sitting at. And uh, the, uh, later, the proof of the pudding, as far as uh, Marlon Brando goes, was we're now, we've done the whole evening, and it's like two, three, four in the morning. And we're all uh, merry. But my, uh, the only, only ones left, I think, are us. A scaffold on our uh, beetle table up the bar. A uh, scaffold, Zoop Money, and his wife, Ronnie. And uh, that was us and our little posh table. Uh, but we'd run out, you know, we'd, we said to the waiter, uh, OK, can I have more scotch and cokes, please? Uh, that was the drink in the... 60s for us. Somebody said Ringo invented it. I don't know if that's true. So uh, more Scotch and Coke say, no, no, no. With the bars closed. They wanted us out. It was like four, four in the bloody morning. And they'd been up all the roof. That'll do. No, nothing. So we said, uh, oh, go on, just a bit more whiskey. We've got some Coke here. He said, uh, no, we're closed. That's it. We sort of sort of feeling. And so one of us spotted in Marlon was down below in his table with the girls and somebody spotted it. He had half a bottle of whiskey. 
he'd bought the you know bought a whole bowl, and he's halfway through. And so we said to Ronnie, Zoop Money's wife, Ronnie, uh, Ronnie, can you go down and ask Marnie? Can we have a borrow, borrow his bottle to have a few slugs? We've got Coke here. We just borrow his whiskey for a bit. And she said, Oh, certainly. It's great. We've got his kettle. Glasgow girl. She said, Hey, no problem. Gets down there. Next thing she comes back with the bottle. And, and we just thought it was going to be to fill our glasses and then take it back. Well, sorry, uh, Marlon said he's had enough. It's ours. He's given it to us. <laughs> now, there is a gentleman. Mm. Proof of the pudding is in the eating. Marlon Brando gave us half a bottle of the best scotch in the world. Scotch of St. James. Scotch of the Scotch of St. James. The, the book also includes lots of photos of the scaffold and, and, and some of the sort of... Oh, a proper group, you mean. You're talking about a proper group now. Yes. A, a, originally called the Liverpool One Fat Lady Non-Electric Show. That's what we were called originally. So the next track is Miles Davis from the Lift to the Scaffold soundtrack. Lift to the Scaffold. Mm. Now then... Uh, how about the extraordinary, and there's no such thing as coincidence, it all meant, uh, thing, have you seen the cover of, of Lift to the Scaffold? I haven't, actually. Oh, okay. I'll tell you what it is, and everyone now will be able to, for the first time in their life, be able to see it, because I'm going to mm. paint it, <clears throat> was in uh, the 60s, it's not in school, not the 60s, yeah, in, the, in school. Uh, everybody, all the kids were into Bridget Bardo and smoking. They were the two big things that all kids were, you know, naughty and who's not supposed to oh, oh dear, oh, Bridget and smoking, all that, uh, etc. And being a contrary young man, I, everyone was into Bridget. And so I said, no, I'm not going to be, I'm certainly not smoking tried that, didn't like it. No, I'm not smoking. And I'm not doing budget. I'm going to do Jean Moreau, French actress Jules Agim. Everybody listening to this, if you haven't seen Jules Agim, is it Truffaut? Uh, see Jules Agim, uh, Francois Truffaut, I think. Uh, and Jean Moreau is the star of that. Google it, you'll love it. And uh, so I had her on my wall, Jean Moreau, and uh, didn't, so that was it. And then years later, I was doing a video or something, and Miles Davis lifted the scaffold, which is one of the reasons we called ourselves Scaffold, was right. Now, we got the uh, album cover, we put it on the video. And so, okay, great. Here it is, we sent it through. And there, the cover of Miles Davis's Lift to the Scaffold album is Jean Moreau. Yeah. It must have been when he was in France, in Paris, and uh, must have fallen in love with her like I did. And uh, very cool. And he chose her as the cover of Lift to the Scaffold. Not many people know that. Uh, and the scaffold were into, because they were older than me, and they were into modern jazz, and they were into Miles Davis. Uh, so they, uh, that was their big contribu contribution. And so that was it. Uh, and Rosé, Rosé's, not Rogers, Rosé's Thesaurus, 
uh, that sort of the scaffold tumbled out of that, and so that was the reason mainly for lifting the scaffold uh, because of Miles Davis and uh, and the connotation scaffold is erection uh, erecting scaffolding and destroying uh, you know being hung on them <clears throat> so two two connotations of scaffold uh, up and down. Other stunning photos in, in the book is your kid and John composing. I saw her standing there. They're just in the moment there, aren't they? Oh, yes. As I said, that was one of the most important pictures for our kids because it encapsulates the, uh, the way it was, the way he and John got on so well together. Uh, that's why, it, to him, it is uh, an important. And as I said, about if it had been uh, somebody like uh, in the same room as uh, uh, Rogers and Art or you know Rogers and Hammersmith, somewhere like that, if I'd have taken photographs of them, it was just lucky for the world that I 
my big love, not only hobby, was photography, uh, but my passion was, uh, still love it, still love photography now. And uh, just uh, fortuitous that I, I should uh, capture them doing what they did best, and that is writing songs, and writing rather good songs, telling the truth. Mm. Obviously not as good as Scaffold, <laughs> but they did some good stuff. They, they, they're just sort of staring at the lyrics, and then you've got your, you can see the pattern of your carpet, and I think I can, I can see your, your television behind as well. On that one, you can see everything. You can see the offcuts of carpet, where underneath those, underneath those offcuts of carpet, we couldn't afford to have a, a, a new carpet, because we didn't have any money. Mum had died, and my dad was bringing up two lads. Yeah. In uh, with no money, I think he's on. I think when the Beatles were like number one, I think my dad was on ten pound a week at uh, in the Cotton Exchange, Liverpool. So we didn't have any money. So things like that. That when in our house, when you went to the bath, you were joined by the ceiling because it had all flaked off, like the cabin. It had all flaked off uh, in the heat, same as the cabin. Yeah. Uh, uh, but in our bath, it would join you in the bath, the, the paint, the flakes from the ceiling. So all that was uh, there in that room, uh, three wallpaper. We couldn't afford all the same wallpaper. So we had false brick wallpaper. That's what on, I can see on the left is that that's false brick. On the left is the false brick wallpaper. Yeah. Uh, behind them is sort of striped were just just stripey stuff, and then the other and I think it's on two wall, and then the other wall is Chinese uh, wallpaper, Chinese, yeah. you know, like like famous Chinese um, motif. Uh, so because and that was three wallpapers because we couldn't. It was like my curtains upstairs. I said to Auntie Mill, "Can I have black corduroy?" curtains. Mm. She said, we'll go to Garston. She said, I'm not sure about black, black, but we'll go to Garston Market and see if I can get your black cord, black cord to, and make your curtains. And so we got there. The nearest she could find was dark blue corduroy and fawn corduroy. That was the nearest she could find for black. So she said, what I'm going to do is do it in four squares and that is in our back room in Fort, and it was. But then, years later, I said this story because the National Trust bought our old house, and uh, for the nation. And I mentioned this story, and uh, they said, "Oh, it'd be great having those curtains like you had, like Auntie Mill did for you." And so my wife heard this row that lady that had got the phone before. And uh, the she said, I can make those because she makes beautiful wedding dresses. And so I said, oh, great. So it was dark, very dark blue cord and fawn. So she went, found it eventually in London, I think, and made them in four squares. And they're now hanging in fourth in row. Not many people know that, neither. She was just 17, you know what I mean, and the way she looked was wavy 
got to our final track, and uh, when I was thinking of what to play, it seemed very apt to uh, to play the scaffold version of "In My Liverpool Home." There's so many, so many great photos, and I think we've only sort of skimmed the surface of some of the. As I said, you've only seen the tip of the iceberg. You won't believe this. Uh, just the, the the layouts, whatever they're called, are just the paper of the books, and even the book, uh, just the paper that goes in them, this is a big book, uh, is so heavy. Just uh, I'm, I'm going through it every day. It is so big, and there are so many pages, and on each one, there are all these little secrets, there are all these little uh, surprises, all, and, and in fact, I got the idea, and only Genesis can do this sort of thing. Uh, because they're so professional. Uh, from one of their books was they sent me a book of Ringo's. I think it was the photograph book, and this beautiful Genesis uh, Ringo Star book. Same thing, beautiful way. But I'm going through that, and I'm thinking, uh, oh, well, I'm not gonna. And then suddenly you see a little bus ticket, and you think, what the hell is that? But I can It's not there. And you suddenly realise it's 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 not only on the page, but you can take it out, and it's printed on both sides, like a, a real bus ticket. And so you take it out, and then you can put it back. And you you, you know you could take it out, go on a bus, get a a, a, a ride around Liverpool. And so I, there are bits in my book, uh, uh Mike McCartney's early Liverpool, of uh, you know, letters and things stuck on. <laughs> At one stage, when they first sent it, and they forgot to tell me that this thing, and uh, I thought, I opened one page, and I thought, oh, oh dear, the other page is stuck to it. It's obviously they've only just done these, and sometimes in printing pages mm. uh, they stick to each other so we're just about to rip it the good job I didn't because I opened it to rip it and it opened and then it opened again and it opened four times this thing mm. comes right out of the book spreads right across and in fact I think on that one is the middle of that one because early on is the Liverpool Institute 1956 Upper or lower yard. Oh, the school photo. The school photograph of half the That's kids. That's amazing. We had a thousand boys in the the any yeah. Liverpool Institute High School for Boys, and this is only half of about five hundred kids, and uh, it, you can't see the the guy because he was expelled. That was on the end. They had the, this camera. It panned round the whole school. So start on right, everybody, children. Right, I'm the cameraman. It's a special camera. You have to keep still. Keep as still as you can. It'll be bad still. And it's going to take a time. You will see the camera move. Don't worry. Just keep still. Ready, steady, go. And then slowly this thing panned along to thing this guy. And this poor school boy at the end saw what was happening. As soon as it, the camera moved off him, he legged round the back to be on the other end, he was one end of the, the school kids, went right round and go on the other end. And then only when they developed the film 
did they see this little bugger on twice on the same picture, which gave the thing away, and he was expelled. <laughs> but uh, no, that's the picture uh, uh, that goes across four pages uh, in the thing here. It's me, our kid, uh, Neil Aspinall is in there, George, wow. uh, Ivan Vaughan, one of the most important people in uh, pop, in pop, rock and roll, because he introduced our kid. He was born, I'd forgotten till the other day, I must, I'll put this in the book because I'd forgotten. He was born the same day and the same year as my brother, 18th of June, 1942. Uh, he lived behind John in Menlove Avenue, and they were friends. And uh, he introduced, he said to our kid, hey, this, you've got to meet John. And so our kid said, who's John? He said, oh, no, he lived behind me in Menlove Avenue. But you've got to meet him, you'll love him, get on well. And he took him to, I think, the Woolton Garden Fate and introduced him to John, and that was, that was it. Without Ivan Vaughan, you'd have none of this. And it's like having a mom, if she'd have lived, you'd have had none of this. It's the way it is. Before we go, we definitely need to mention the website, mikemccartneybook.com. Mm. Hopefully we can uh, speak or perhaps even see each other in another five years' time. Yeah, okay, Jason. I'll be uh, brewing up a strange brew. <laughs> And so we can have, we can share that strange brew together. Lovely. All right. Take care, Mike, and thank you again. Bless you, and uh, love to all your lot, and safety to all your lot. Bye bye. Cheers. Bye bye. And stealing from lorries, I was adept. And underneath overcoats, we always slept. In me Liverpool, oh. In me Liverpool, oh. We speak with an accent exceedingly rare. Meet under a statue exceedingly rare. If you want a cathedral, we've got one to spare. In When the dust and the smoke it all cleared from the air Thank Christ, said the old man, the booze is still there Seventeen kids and a house out and speak 
for listening to the strange brew podcast if you do like the show please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online it's 10 years since i started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time all your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests to support me just go to the strangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. thank you very much Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.